0: Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson.
1: Welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson, and today we are going to be talking about the 2019 crop year. I have with me again uh, uh, our guest, Wayne Fithian. Wayne, hello.
0: Morning, Jim. I'm uh, Wayne Fithian, agronomy manager at Rob Seco.
1: So, Wayne, 2019, every year is a unique year, but 2019 felt especially unique and challenging. Uh, it's a, a year filled with challenges and it impacted performance for corn and soybeans, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about those things today.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, twenty. Uh, the story of 2019 actually started in the fall of 2018. It, it just, uh, we had a lot of moisture. We got the crop out late. We couldn't get any field work done. So it it really started in 2018 and then I think you know the this the uh, kind of the look at 2019 that I have is that as I kept track of dominant weather events of different types Boy, 2019 had a, a, a wider selection of those dominant weather patterns that affect the crop than, than any time in the past 10 years, I think. We just had a little bit of everything in 2019.
1: Yeah. When you say dominant patterns that affected the crop, what do you mean by that? What are, what are some things that have historically dominated the crop in, in prior years?
0: Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, climatic factors primarily in how they interact with the crop. So things like uh, heat spells, droughts, uh, staying cold or staying cloudy for extended periods i, I you know we had a, we had a little bit of each of those spring frost fall frost we, we had a little bit of each one of those somewhere in the corn belt in in 2019 and i think you know the 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 biggest factor was that we didn't get any fall work done in 2018 And then we had a winter that just lingered so far into 2019 that nobody could get any field work done in the spring of 2019. So it was hard to get the fertilizer on. It was hard to get the tillage done. It was hard to have the ground ready to be planted. And then once it finally did turn spring, it rained, and it rained, and we couldn't get in in a lot of cases and plant more than a day or two here and there. So it really, uh, in addition to all the flooding that happened because of that rain, it really delayed our planting activities significantly.
1: An awful lot of growers were impacted by the flooding this last year, and that, that'll have its effects for a number of years to come, actually. But it, it- you can't underestimate the amount of, of impact that that flooding had on 2019
0: yeah the flooding that just completely prevented us from being able to farm some of that river bottom ground or 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 required that we get it in so late that the crop never really had a chance but but even in the even in the even on the upland ground that didn't flood, we just stayed so wet that we just couldn't get anything done. Couldn't get the crop planted timely, and that ended up being one of the biggest factors in the yield potential that we observed for both corn and soybeans because both crops were
1: delayed. Yeah, and not not to spoil getting too much later into the year yet, but you know there were some geographies where growers were able to get in and plant in a somewhat timely manner. Maybe not their whole uh, their whole farm, but they were able to at least get a couple of fields in, and that provided a really good comparison to see how those fields uh, compared relative to uh, the fields that were planted much later.
0: Yeah, that's right. The 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 the, the most successful fields were the fields that, that got planted timely. And by timely I mean fields that went in before the 15th of May for corn and fields that went in before the 1st of June for soybeans. Those were the fields that we were the most happy with this fall. If they went in after that, they were they were significantly different in how they performed.
1: Um, so, I want to touch real quick on soybeans. We had you know, a handful of fields across across their obseco footprint that were planted to soybeans that were planted in, a, planted in a timely manner. Now, we didn't see those beans emerge for a long time. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well,
0: yeah, they, they uh, you know, we we were pretty cool still. If they got planted in that, you know, 5th to 10th or 15th of May, we were still pretty cool, and and they're a warm-weather crop. And they didn't – even the ones that popped out of the ground didn't grow very much, and it seemed like, gosh, are these beans ever going to grow? Maybe they're going to finally grow when the stuff that got planted in June grows. But they were growing below the – Below the soil line, once they popped up, because when the heat came in June, they really the earlier planted beans really came on, and uh, and then they showed how much ahead of the later planted beans they were, and and in fact, we had uh, some of the earlier planted bean fields that uh, that I see here in the in the eastern Nebraska, western Iowa area were, uh, were were canopied really kind of right on time Fourth of July they were they were starting to canopy the thirty inch rows.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Now with that. Late planting and everything. We saw a lot of maturity switching this year. In fact, we we moved seed all over the place. I, I think we took seed from Wisconsin, took it out to the Panhandle of Nebraska, took seed from North Dakota, and brought it all the way down into parts of central South Dakota. Uh, what did you see from a maturity switching standpoint this year? Well,
0: I, I think you know farmers made good decisions on earlying up a bit. You know, we we always caution farmers from earlying up too much because we you know we going more than you know, seven or eight RMs earlier than your normal maturity usually ends up costing you more in yield potential than it saves you in having a crop that's ready for the fall. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. But I thought, you know, farmers made good decisions to early up as timing got later and later because you just can't can't expect that uh, really full-season product to be able to fit the growing season and perform, you know, when you're planting it three, four weeks later than what's optimum.
1: Yeah, so some of the early... Planted crop went through a little bit of a cold spell. Later planted crop obviously didn't have the heat units that, that accumulated. What did we look like in July in terms of flowering goes compared to a normal year?
0: Yeah, so so you know we had some nice heat in June. In fact, if you, if you look at the at the weather data, the the June through August period in 2019 was really pretty much near normal across all of the Corn Belt. So so June really I think is is the reason that the crop was as good as it was because we had some really nice heat heat in June. We had some nice, sunny, warm, long days, and, and the crop got going. And we went from a crop that, gosh, we were wondering if we'd have anything anywhere close to tasseled by the 4th of July. Actually, you know, on the 4th of July, we had a few cornfields here and there tasseling. And, uh, and in fact, some states were reporting up to 10% of the crop uh, in, in the reproductive stages. Now, we didn't really see the crop broadly reprodu- uh, at, at the flowering stages for corn that early, but, but we did see pretty much even the later planted fields with the heat that we had in June. July wasn't quite as hot, but it was still good and warm. August is the only reason we didn't have a hot summer because August cooled down, but by the by the uh, end of the first, second week of August, pretty much everything had, uh, had flowered on the corn side and the beans were starting to get with it and, and make their crop also.
1: Yeah, so we, as far as flowering goes, we were we were behind normal, not not hugely behind. We were still predominantly flowered uh, at full flower, uh, mid August or so.
0: Now yeah, so- I think we were one to three weeks behind on the corn crop. If you were going to broadly stroke it, you know, from the from the fields that that flowered first to the ones that finally, you know, the later planted fields when they finally uh, came into reproductive, we were somewhere in that one to three weeks behind. If you could call average, you know what, what? When is average? But on the average, we expect uh, we expect the crop to be a little bit, you know. So we were we were a week to to three weeks behind, depending on the planting date again.
1: You know, being one to three weeks behind at, at, in terms of flowering didn't necessarily equate to being one to three weeks behind black layer or senescence. Uh, what does the crop do in order to, to actually make up that one to three weeks? Yeah,
0: and I think a great example of that, Jim, is that by the time we rolled into mid-September, you and I were at a genetic field day uh, in central Iowa, and the, and the uh, mid and late group two beans were, were, were changing colors. So they were, we were seeing a lot of yellow develop in the canopy, and that's right on normal. You know, we were... The, the, the mid-season beans were flowering by the second week of September. The corn, I really thought in most cases by the third week of September in a lot of areas. Now, not the really late planted fields, and, and of course we had more really late planted fields as we went north because our, our, our northern states had a harder time getting into the field than our central states and our southern states did in the in the Corn Belt area. But uh, but a lot of corn, if it was planted anywhere by the by the middle of may it was starting to look ready for a frost by the third week of September
1: we saw kind of a, a little bit broader of a range in, in- Terms of the way the corn senesces this year than we historically do. We saw a little bit more ghosting than, than historically, but we also saw plenty of corn with purple stocks. Can you tell me about that?
0: Yeah, I like uh, I like to see purple stocks in the fall because when you see purple stocks in the fall, you're generally going to have pretty good standability. Get, it kind of goes back again to those earlier planting dates. If the corn went in timely, it was it was a pretty good crop and it it uh, had a lot of purpling in the stocks in the fall and and purpling is a, is a natural metabolism result in corn. So if corn has extra sugar, you know, it uses sunlight to make sugar from water and carbon dioxide, and that's what ends up making the seed and the You know, that's really what the plant builds itself out of is simple sugars. And uh, if you have a little extra sugar, the corn plant's programmed to turn that sugar into a pigment called anthocyanin, and it does that because anthocyanin has both insecticidal, anti-insecticidal, it's an antifeedant. For insects, so it doesn't taste good. Uh, they're they're not as interested in chewing on the corn crop, if I could put it that way, okay. and also it it re, it uh, it inhibits the growth of a lot of fungi. So it's a it's a really good natural defense mechanism that corn has evolved over its centuries. Right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And now you don't always see that. You don't just see that purple uh, pigment appear in the fall. You can also see a little bit of it appear if we have a cool spring in the seedlings.
0: Right, because if we have a cool spring, the, the corn plant's not growing as quickly. Well, it still might be receiving plenty of sunlight and making sugar. So if there's excess sugar, that sugar's just going to go into that metabolism pathway. Now, I do want to come back to this. You know, you asked the question earlier, you know, why, why were we able to kind of move from what we would call a one to three week behind in tasseling right up to more or less on time by the you know, by the middle to latter part of September. And, you know, we we in the field of agronomy, we we like to characterize and classify. Plant scientists kind of are quirky that way. But we uh, we came up with the GDU theory, you know, and the, you could characterize crop development, especially corn and wheat, with GDUs. So you could keep track of the temperature and it would predict how corn is going to develop. And those equations are very good predictors. The GDU formula works perfectly in Average weather conditions. Okay, <laughs> now we had extremes this year, and so other factors than just heat started to cause. I think both the corn and the soybean crop to 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 kind of get with it and get things moved along. So we talk about soybeans being responsive to hours of darkness in the night. That's what triggers their flowering. Well, they're also kind of GDU responsive, and 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 corn. Well, it's it's not it's GDU responsive, but it's also if it if it's a little out of whack, uh, it, it starts to respond to things like hours of darkness in the night. And nighttime temperatures, uh, especially in late grain field, you throw a 45-degree a, a night at corn, it's going to cause it to accelerate.
1: Absolutely. That makes up a lot of that one- to three-week di- difference then. now. As we got into a little bit closer to harvest, how did things look from an overall prepping for harvest standpoint? Go, you know, what did standability look like? You know, how did things dry down? That kind of thing.
0: Yeah, we didn't we didn't dry down particularly quickly. Uh, the, the beans did better than the corn. Uh, and and uh, the you know the beans kind of got ready and we were able in a lot of cases to get them out of the way and and which was a little different again than what happened in 2018 where the beans really kept us from getting at the corn because they wouldn't dry down but I thought you know corn held on to moisture it stood it stood really well in the front half of the of the harvest season we started to have some situations where we saw a little more lodging as we got later into the harvest scenario there's still some f- people harvesting now in fact and. Some of the fields are standing nice. Some of them aren't standing as well as uh, farmers would like to have them standing. But but I think the, the biggest kind of lesson in 2019 is that we had a lot of different factors, dominant weather factors, a, a really broad range of dominant factors that affected the crop. But none of them might be what we'll experience next year. So, So how do I as a farmer think about what I'm going to do next year uh, as I as I take what I learned in 2019 and kind of apply it to 2020, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, yeah, if, if a farmer has, you know, it, I mean, we're going to see some cases where late-planted, earlier-maturity corn or soybeans uh, ends up yielding above expectations. And so farmers may be pretty pleased with that what should a farmer do in terms of mature, uh, choosing maturities for next year or even looking at planting dates for next year yeah
0: i think one of the things that i'm hearing a lot of right now is guys saying well i want to early up I, you know so people are reacting to the short growing season by saying i need to early up the crop and and i'm i'm kind of a you know even in 2019 as short as the growing season was if you got your crop in on time the fullest maturity Soybeans and the fullest maturity corn made the highest yield. So I think we want to stay at a relatively normal maturity spread and not take that urge to early up just because of what happened to us in 2019. Because if we get a warm year next year, we're going to be sorry if we planted a lot of early maturity corn and, and, uh, and have hybrids out there that can't take advantage of the growing season that's in front of it. So I think as we, you know, farmers need to think about, okay, what are the dominant factors that could influence yield on my farm? What diseases do I have that I have to fight? You know what? 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 Uh, you know what traits might I need? We got a lot of prevent plant fields that, are, that have a cover crop out there. We got a lot of of, uh, of farmers adopting adopting cover crops in general, and so we might want to Agrisure Viptera out there in those fields because of the higher insect pressure we're going to see. Uh, certainly, we did work this year with uh, trapping beetles in. Corn on corn fields and 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 corn on soybean fields and and if you're planting corn on corn, you need a rootworm trait. That's just a that's a pretty good bet. And then I think you know you know what, what does our planting date need to be? I've I've always been of the impression that if, if 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 you can plant corn, even if it's the latter part of April, some areas as we go south, early part, you know, you, you, you need to be timely with corn, especially. And it rewards you for being timely and giving it a lot of growing season. And so, you know, if 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 I would have been farming in 2019, I'd have I'd have been trying to get even if I had a a cold shot coming. I and if I could plant a day, I'd have been planting a day. And I think the growers that did that in 2019 really were rewarded with uh, with the highest yields.
1: Oh, absolutely! Our strip trials support that uh, time and time again. If you look at the earliest planted strip trials, they're often our highest yielding strip trials. And uh, often, definitely support uh, sort by maturity as well.
0: Yeah, you, you know, and some of the, we had some great yields in 2019, and we also some of those later planted fields are the most disappointing fields that we've seen in quite a few years. That's true. That's true.
1: Well, Wayne, anything else that you'd like to add on 2019, and as we look forward to 2020?
0: Well, I think uh, what I'd like to say about 2019 is let's not have another one of those right away. Right? <laughs> let's uh, let's go ahead and and have a have a Have a chance to maybe, with this uh, uh, little nice fall spell we're getting, get some of our fall field work done and and be a little more ready to get right out in the field and plant real timely next spring and and maybe not be quite as wet next spring when we're trying to plant. That'd be really nice, wouldn't it? That'd be very nice, I think, from all angles. (laughs) So so I think, you know, that we're going to—now, we have less data this year. We need to kind of think about looking at wide area uh, to make product decisions on rather than just what happened maybe in our county, but—
1: Exactly. Exactly. Choosing the right products for your farm will, will still be something you want to look at multi-year data and also look at a broad geography. And, and and we'll probably actually end up having an episode on that later on in the year. Wayne, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your insights. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Remember to tune in on the 1st and 15th of each month for new episodes. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready.
0: A Parkville Media Production.